Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Melissa Mazaros about her memoir, Heavy Metal Headbang. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion syndromes Symptoms including dizziness, vertigo, headache, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Melissa Mazaros. and born and raised in rural Pennsylvania, Melissa has set the president's for breaking tropes and forging the way for the modern nomadic. As a tenured entertainment industry publicist, she's also the founder of Girl Front PDX Music Festival and the comic book publicity firm Don't Hide PR. She's a self-proclaimed grunge aficionado, graduate from Antioch University, Los Angeles, in their MFA in creative writing, and proudly shares a birthday with Melvin's leader, Buzz Osborne. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Amy. Well, I am excited to dive in today. You have penned uh, a memoir called Heavy Metal Headbang. And I have to say, you so you sent me the digital version of it, and I just couldn't stop reading it. It was it's just so well done, and I love all of your music analogies <laughs> to share your story. Um, but let's just start with a little background of what happened and how you sustained your traumatic brain injury. Yeah, um, I it was in April of 2018. Actually, it was tax day. <laughs> Everybody mm-hmm. was tax day. Um, and I was leaving work, um, and right outside my office, I was crossing um, a couple of lanes of traffic because traffic was gridlocked, and it was in a crosswalk, so I had the right-of-way. And a car kind of got impatient when I was passing through, zip merged, and clipped me. Uh, and that's how I sustained my brain injury. 
Well, you left out the best part. Where were you going? I was on my way to see Judas Priest. (laughs) (laughs) I I laugh. I, I know. It's just like the most ridiculous thing that could have ever happened. And you know how you are when you're um, in that mental state of like post concussive, or yeah. um, and I was pretty, I was pretty sure that I, like the only thing I wanted to do was going to go see Jesus Christ. They wanted to take me to the hospital. Right. They put me in the ambulance, and I said no. Nope. I mean, like you could take me up there, but I'm going to see Jesus Priest uh, when I get there. <laughs> so I was really hell bent on it. So did you get to get to Judas? No, not that night. No, I was in the hospital for I don't know how many days. And, you know, after that, it was in recovery for the better half of a year, a uh, year and a half, yeah. almost two years. And, and still only about, I would say, 95% recovered. Mm-hmm. If recovery is a yeah. thing. It is. It and, is. And you're just coming up shortly on your, what, that'll be four years, right? Yeah, and four years. I know for me, I was three and a half, four years in before I really started having significant improvements. So, I mean, those first couple of years were just so challenging for me. And, you know, some people see improvement, um, you know, quickly, you know, everybody's different. Every injury is different. You know, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. And, you know, those of us, who linger for years, it's really challenging. Um, And especially if you don't have a good support system that doesn't understand what's going on with you. Um, So in your case, you know, what, what was your support system? How, how did people, um, you know, did they jump in to help or did they kind of push you away? Like, whatever. Um, I would actually say that people jumped in to help and it was the comics community first off. Uh, when I came to in, in the ICU, I, I had a lot of colleagues around me. <laughs> so that was always, uh, I think that spoke volumes to not only the industry that I work in, but the character of the people that I choose to surround myself with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it has created somewhat of a rift because a lot of people don't understand because you can't see it. You know, they call yep. it the, the walking sleep and yeah. So um Trial and error. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard. You know, you, you can't see it. And, you know, in my case, I fell on the ice. And I know you live in L.A. and other people listening that maybe live in warm climates that don't understand. We get snow and ice here in Minnesota. And um, it, it, it's referred to as black ice. It looks like maybe it's just wet, but it's just glare ice. Um, and that's what I slipped and fell on. And, you know, to other Minnesotans, it's like, who hasn't slipped on the ice, right? But I literally landed on my head. I had my dog in my arm, so I didn't break my fall in any way except for my skull. Um, and so that was really frustrating to me, you know, the, the amount of people who just kind of like poo-pooed it like you can walk you can talk you're fine um but meanwhile like for me I I couldn't figure out how to use my microwave 
I'm like looking at it and I'm like, I have no idea what button to push or what I need to do with these buttons, um, you know, let alone even thinking about using <laughs> the oven and stove, um, you know, so, so what were maybe some of the, the, the little things that you started to notice, like for me, the microwave, um, you know, what were some of the things you began to notice? Like, I don't really know how to do this anymore. It wasn't so much I didn't know how to do things that I didn't have the capacity to do things. Um, I couldn't mm-hmm. stand up. I couldn't grind beans for my coffee. I couldn't mm. put on makeup. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't put my shoes on. I actually didn't recognize my own reflection for a good chunk of my recovery. Um, so that was fun, absolutely. But I would prefer, you know, like, like, like you said, um, no two brain injuries are like, and that, that's what everybody says. Um, so I'm really fascinated by this, by the fact that you didn't understand the microwave. Mm-mm. I wouldn't hear more about that. No, like Mm-mm. you couldn't. You were, okay. I had no comprehension of how to use it. And I remember going to the gas station. Um, you know, you got to pay at the pump and you have to like answer questions, right? Um, on the pump, like, you know, enter your zip code and hit enter or whatever. And I couldn't figure it out. It was just like beyond my comprehension. And eventually I started to figure out, so it was telling me enter your zip code and press enter, but there was no button that actually said enter. It was just a green button. And so in my brain, it couldn't make that connection, you know, like an, an undamaged brain is like, Oh, the green buttons enter. Um, but I couldn't make, I remember there, there was numerous times I had to get in my car and go to a different gas station because I couldn't figure it out. And then I, I eventually learned which gas stations I knew and I, I kept going to those. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's intense. And you, did, you were okay with driving a car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the most part. And, um, you know, and I hear that a lot from people that they, you know, they have their license taken away. And honestly, it never even came up. And I kind of, I, you know, I look back and I knew I was impaired um, driving. Like the hardest thing for me was like understanding lights, stoplights. Like, so I'd be at the light and it would turn green and I'd make a left turn and I'd see that light from that angle and it was red. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, am I running a red light? Um, so there was definitely times where I knew I sh- probably shouldn't be driving, but uh, you know, no one told me not to. And as simplistic as it seems that you should know better than to drive, um, it really didn't occur to me and no one told me not to. Um, it wasn't until later in my recovery that I was like, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have been driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I just find that so crazy between the microwave and the gas pump, but figuring I don't know. There's the survival skills that stay intact, which is crazy. Like, I could do my job, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't make coffee. <laughs> I laugh about it now because it's the only defense mechanism I have, I think. Well, and I would think, you know, for you with the grinding, the coffee beans, that was more of a sound stimulation, right? That was what was probably triggering you. 
No, it wasn't so much audio as it was just me being so tired I couldn't do it. Because oh. <laughs> I would grind, I would grind mm-hmm. them by hand. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have much energy. I remember it taking me, what normally would take me 15 minutes, ended up taking me two hours just to prepare to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaving sticky notes everywhere, making everything was shut off. Um, just the act of getting dressed and getting everything together because I would have to stop. I would have to stop and kind of recalibrate and then move on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember early, well, this, that went on for quite a few years, but um, like getting ready in the morning, like showering, I would go days without showering because a shower took a whole lot of energy. Um, and like the act, I don't know what it is about a shower. <laughs> like even if I wasn't washing my hair, like even if it was just like I'm rinsing off shower, it was so much work. And then if I did have to wash my hair, that was a whole other level. That was like I had to save up all my energy to wash my hair because what comes with washing your hair, then you have to like comb it and dry it. And it like it just was so much energy used to do those tasks. Yeah. Yep, that it was very much so. I spent a lot of time in bed. Um, I can I don't think I left my bed for the better half of a year, at least. Um, I I had problems with lights. Um, I still have problems with flashing lights. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just it was just more conducive to survival to just lay in the dark. Mhm. Yeah, and I had a dog at the time, so. You know, she demanded having to go outside several times a day, which I, you know, I think that was a bit of a blessing because otherwise I probably would have just stayed in my bed. Um, so at least it did force me to kind of get up and do something. Um, I don't know how like a single mom can function after a brain injury. Like I had enough trouble trying to remember that I feed my dog, <laughs> like you know, like mm-hmm. having to remember to, to feed your children. Um, and depending on the age, they might not be able to tell you. Um, so yeah, I just so much credit to single moms going through this. Um, so Melissa, tell us what, you know, what led you to writing your memoir? How, how did that come about for you? It wasn't intentional. I started journaling um, because of therapy, and I lost so many of my memories that when I was listening to music, whether warranted or unwarranted, if I'd be in the grocery store or somewhere or watching a movie and a, um, and a song would come on, I would, it would spark and I would write about it and I would kind of get, I was like searching my way back to find myself. <laughs> so... Um, that became a practice, and I had so many notes as I was healing that it actually was pretty cohesive um, after two editorial visits, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, that's how it came together. And it was written nonlinear, uh, which is very apparent, but um, I think uh, all the stories tie together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crazy thing was, is that I basically had to go through all my trauma again. Anything that had happened in my life that was upsetting, um, I had to go through it all over again because I disassociated. My brain just disassociated completely. 
and that was not fun <laughs> at all. Um, I didn't even realize it until one day I was going to pick up my library reserves and I had my headphones on and a song came on and it was my me and my high school boyfriend song. And I just started crying and I couldn't figure out what had happened. And my brain just, it took a sabbatical and it was like, hey, no, you're 15. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you're not 35. It's just not how this works right now. So, yeah, that was really, really, really jarring to where I had to go and see a psychotherapist and figure out what was wrong. And once he explained to me that it was disassociation and that it was going to happen again, um, you know, I just had to go with it. Um, but everything, like I said, like doing my job and stuff, that was on autopilot. So survival was on autopilot and everything else was just remiss for the most part. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I had to go through that. And literally as I was going through all the hardships um, and finding good memories even very very rarely, though. I think the bad ones surfaced first um, just to get myself back to grounding. But it was a long process, and that took me about two years to finally come, like, full circle with the understanding of who I was and um, who I'd become and why I was there. And the writing was really, really therapeutic in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and I feel like for me, too, that's how my book came to be was just, I started writing um, articles. And, you know, eventually, they were published on Huffington Post. But I just compiled all these articles into a book. And I get asked all the time, you know, how did you write your book? And it's like, well, it's, just sort of happened like you said it wasn't intentional I was writing because it was therapeutic um you know my stuff was on HuffPost so I knew it was helping other people you know they were reaching out to me and thanking me for sharing them and um I don't know it sounds like maybe you kept yours private until it became a book um but it is it's so therapeutic to put it to paper. I don't know what it is about writing, but it just like gets it out of your head and onto paper, whether, you know, you're using a pen to paper or you're using, you know, a computer. Um, and it is, it's so, it's so therapeutic. And I encourage anyone to try just writing a little bit every day, you know, starting somewhere. Yeah, it's definitely the way to go if you can, you know, handle it. I, I actually couldn't look down for a long time, so I didn't write anything longhand. Um, I just would pick my phone up and hold it in front of my face and type it out. Because, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, for, so I, I think it's so weird that I couldn't keep my head down, but then I would get vertigo really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's pretty normal. It's pretty normal. Yeah. I still get vertigo when I get overstimulated. Um, and I could be laid up for up to a couple months with vertigo from, from like just a day of stimulation, which is insane. I kind of wish that would go away, but I think it's going to stick around for a while. It's not forever. Mm. Well, I'm a big advocate of functional neurology, so I cannot stress to you enough to try and, um, I know several in the LA area, so, um, such a such a huge help in um you know getting 
and vertigo is a very specific thing. Vertigo is where you have crystals in the ears. Um, but for most people, it's an eye tracking issue or an audio and visual mismatch. Um, so I, I just can't stress enough the importance of trying to find a functional neurologist. And, you know, that's that's the hard part to navigate after brain injury. You know, we get trapped in um, the traditional healthcare system, and they serve a purpose. And at some point, though, I wish that they knew how to refer us to people that can help us. Um, I feel like so often we get trapped in this in this cycle um, of just getting kind of scooted from doctor to doctor. And every I kept being told, "Well, there's nothing we can do for you." Um, and it's very, it's discouraging. You know, you think, oh my God, there's nothing they can do for me. I have to live like this the rest of my life. And it's very daunting to um, imagine life like that for the rest of your life. And so anyone listening, I just want you to there's, there's always hope and there's always an ability for improvement. Um, neuroplasticity is real. It's very very amazing. Um, our bodies can rewire, our brains can rewire themselves and um, it's pretty magical. <laughs> so I can firsthand, you know, tell you that it's real and um, there's always, always hope. So don't ever give up. It's just a matter of finding the right provider that can help you. And, um, you know, unfortunately our, our healthcare system isn't conducive to going outside the traditional healthcare system. And, you know, that's a whole other story for another day. <laughs> but Melissa, you know, what, what did you, what kind of help did you receive after your initial, um, you know, your initial hospital stay and your initial rehab? Oh, I was in several different kinds of therapy. Um, my eyes were misaligned. Uh, I had to go to cognition therapy. I had to go to physical therapy. I had to go to um, I had to go to psychotherapy. I I can't. There's like a long list. I had to see a holistic therapist uh, for um uh what it, I can't even remember what it was. It was like a an amalgamation of different things. Um, but it was very very long term. Of uh, think that I had gone to therapy for the better half of two years before they discharged me and they said I was okay to go. Um, I remember, though, having to do exercises that would push my stimuli where I would have to do simple math while they were playing jungle noises, and I could not do it. (laughs) It was virtually Mm -hmm. impossible. And I just remember that so torturous, so torturous. Even thinking about it now, I think I have like PTSD from it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. But having two different kinds of therapy uh, for just where I was in my head mentally, because um, that was the real, that was the biggest struggle. Absolutely the biggest struggle. Because the physical symptoms, you know, they mended themselves so slowly that, you know, when, and when you're bed bound or when you're isolated, um, your recovery is happening and you don't, and you're not dealing with external stimuli that you're just sitting in your head. So having, you know, psychotherapy was very, very helpful in that regard because I felt really powerless for a very long time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, unfortunately, so many people are hesitant to find a psychotherapist or, you know, any form of therapist. Um, and, you know, it, it really, truly is helpful. Um, talk therapy can be really remarkable in your recovery. Um, and if the first one that you find, if it doesn't feel like the right fit, you know, find another one. You're not obligated to stay with the one that you found forever. Um, you know, you really do have to find the right fit when it comes to a therapist. Um, and it, it just can have such, just having someone to talk to who listens without judgment and is compassionate and understanding towards what you're going through can just make such a profound difference in your recovery. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, very much so. Well, Melissa, we are just about out of time and I would love to wrap up just by asking you what, you know, what final thoughts do you have for our listener? What final parting words of wisdom um, do you have for anyone listening today? Recovery will happen so slowly you won't even notice it, but you have to trust the process. Mm-hmm. Trust the process. I love it. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And again, your book is called, tell us where we can, what it's called and where we can find it. The title is Heavy Metal Headbang. It can be found on Amazon. It can be found at Barnes & Noble um, and many fine bookstores that use SBC as their distributor. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and just best of luck on the rest of your recovery. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can schedule a free consultation at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can also find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or directly at acesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also remember to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.